0: And welcome to Beyond the IPLS Classroom. I'm your host, Stacey Roberts-Brighton. In this episode, we talk to Sarah White about how best to prepare your students for what might be their first experience of examinations and how to prepare them for examination conditions considering the amount of online learning that students have gone through over the last two years. Sarah will provide guidance on how best to engage with and support your students, but also how parents can support in the periods leading up to examinations. This is the first of two episodes dedicated to preparing your students for examinations at iPrimary. We met Sarah during Season 1 of Behind the IPLS Classroom, where we discussed how to teach online effectively and the hybrid classroom. Sarah is an educational consultant specialising in teacher professional development and assessment. She was a primary class teacher for nearly 30 years, holding many SLT roles and a head teacher in international schools. Following the completion of her MA in Education, Management and Leadership, Sarah now supports curriculum development and writes and delivers professional development in the UK and internationally. Cool, so thank you for joining me, Sarah. Um, It's been a while since we last did one of these episodes, so thank you for joining me um, today. So we're going to look at and talk through kind of how to get students ready for iPrimary assessments.
1: Brilliant, yeah, important.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes it is. (laughs) So after many months of virtual and hybrid learning, teachers and students are finally getting back into the classroom and examinations and assessments are also returning to uh, pre-pandemic settings. So how has the pandemic disrupted the preparation of examinations and or assessments in schools?
1: Well, yes, it's it's an interesting year, isn't it? We're actually mm-hmm. going back and facing exams after, for well, a lot of schools, you know, a couple of years um, yeah. not doing exams. So I've been asked this lots of times during the pandemic, especially, you know, by those teachers who've had those prolonged periods of teaching online, because they're always keen to know what other schools um, are doing about assessing their students. You know, many of us sort of tried or asked about, you know, administering assessment um, when the children are at home and they've been online. Um, But how can you do that without checking, you know, children cheating or additional parent support? To be honest, you you really can't. Mm -hmm. So as you say, for many of our students, they haven't had a formal summative assessment, really particularly an external assessment since before the pandemic. So that's been a very long time, particularly in our uh, young primary children's lifespan, you know, whatever their age. So, Yeah, while working online, many schools have still managed to assess. They haven't been using um, summative assessment, the tests. They've been using more um, sort of formal assessment strategies. Mm -hmm. Um, And teachers have been really objective focused. To be honest, it's been great what's been happening online that I've seen. They've been uh, focused on the teaching objective, making their own judgments about how well a student has understood a concept before moving on. and They've developed great strategies for doing this. And of course, so, you know, it's what we do face to face as well as what we should be doing throughout um, our lessons. But the summative test or the examination, well, it's difficult because it's just a sh- snapshot of how a student mm-hmm. performs on a day in a test um, condition. And for many of our younger, primary age students, um, we know that this can be affected by so many different factors. Um, if I think back to when I was in the classroom, you know, I've had some of my best students return exam results which weren't as expected. You know, and some students who performed better, much better mm-hmm. than I would have expected. So it's therefore so important that any summative assessment is seen as part of that triangulation process. It is just that snapshot. We need to build a complete picture of a student's ability with what we, the teacher, knows that they can do by what we've seen in class or what we've seen online through what we formatively assessed and have the evidence of that learning in their books, you know, in the work that they produce. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I mean, personally, I remain to be convinced that summative test is really evidence of learning because it can be affected by so many factors, which is why it's so important to have that bigger picture of what our students can do. But you're right, many of us are returning to -to face-to-face classroom teaching and therefore summative testing, and many of our students will be uh, joining us in our May-June series. um as well so we had our October series but uh I think we'll have a lot more joining us in our June series yeah uh of exams um and again you know again if children are ill or there are issues with COVID we have got our um, October series as well now and that's staying that we'll have it twice a year so yeah I think you know we need to think about how we're really going to get these children prepared for these exams yeah I
0: mean on a good day I hated sitting tests Anyway, so if I was feeling pretty uh, good about myself and having to sit a test exam you just you just yeah you just don't know what what is going to come out at the end of it um <laughs> particularly so I, I, younger I, children you yeah <laughs> and i just i just feel so kind of we're putting these these, these kids through testing ex- conditions that they've, they've not sat yet before or haven't sat for quite some time it's just that change in mindset again
1: it is it's just getting back to what we call normal i suppose
0: yep so on, on that point um so now that we are getting back to kind of a normal Uh, way of schooling, when do teachers ideally need to start thinking about preparation for exams and assessments?
1: Well as soon as you can really, Um, you know ideally from the start of the school year when you first get that class it's definitely not something we want to leave till before the exams. So it needs to be embedded in your uh, curriculum, what you're doing and your teaching in your classroom as well. So just don't leave it until well, lots of teachers do they leave it till the spring period mm-hmm. um And to be honest, it's a little bit late because it's not going to be effective. And actually what you're doing is adding to building up that exam stress. And I think that's one of the biggest issues we have to work on as well. I don't know um, whether or not our listeners do, but many schools baseline their students when they return to school. And I think a lot of schools did that post-pandemic. So wherever you are in terms of getting your children back into the class, uh, teachers used um, summative assessment for baselining. So... If you're not familiar with that, what it means is that, let's say I've got a year three class and I have them in beginning of my school year, let's say that's September, I give them the year two end of year exam. Now, they Mm -hmm. may well have done that year two end of uh, year exam in year two, but I give it to them again because we know after a long holiday or time out of school, there's going to be a bit of fallback, but it provides me with a baseline. And it's important, rather than actually thinking about what the children can and can't do, but for me as a teacher, thinking about actually what I need to focus on in terms of planning the learning for that class moving forward, as well as knowing the gaps that individual children will have. So in terms of summative assessment, I'd start right at the beginning, first couple of days in at the beginning of a school year with a baseline test, and then I would embed some summative assessment as a work through the year. As well, mm-hmm. I think it's just really, really important uh, to do that and not leave it until, well, as lots of schools do, this time of the year, and suddenly they up the ante in their testing, and yes. all that really <laughs> does is put too much pressure on the children, um, as well.
0: Yeah, but it just adds to that kind of anxiety, nervousness of sitting in a, an exam condition. I need to do very well. I need to. I need to sit an exam in a few months' time. Um, Yeah, it was, yeah, I can can imagine students at the moment are just feeling a little bit, a little bit stressed, a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious um, for a multitude of reasons. Uh,
1: And when we think back to our schooling, we don't think back. I don't think any child or any adult you talk to looks back (laughs) favourably when doing exams, (laughs) do they?
0: (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) I purposely try to avoid sitting any kind of test anymore, um, just because of the stress and the anxiety you used to feel. So, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I, I know I found that when I uh, <laughs> finished my degree, that I would never sit an exam again.
0: Yes. <laughs> yep, indeed. Um, so we've spoken about when is best. How, so let's move on to how. How can teachers start to prepare their students for examinations?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, if only I had a magic wand for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, some students do seem to take doing tests in their stride. Whilst others get so stressed about it. And Mm -hmm. I think it's awful to see young children stressed. You know, their schooling shouldn't be about tests and being stressed. It should be about fun and learning and enjoying it. So we've got to think about that um, as we embed sort of doing these uh, tests. So, um, you know, often it can be because the school puts too much emphasis on the test data rather than seeing it as just data that they should be using to inform the teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than judging their pupils, um, it can all be because the test data is reported to parents and then the parents focus on the results too much, and that's about yeah. educating our parents as well. You know, for the children, it's tough because they know that when you're doing a test, you are judging their academic ability, mm-hmm. and we wouldn't like that. That's why we don't like it because we don't, nobody likes that process of being judged. It's a stressful process um you know so i mean we were talking there about the last tests or exams we took and how we (laughs) felt um and i think if our listeners sort of reflect back on that it's tough and it's because your ability is being judged and leveled and compared possibly to others so i think what we need to do is try and take this stress out of doing tests in schools and those particularly sort of what are regarded as higher stakes external exams Mm -hmm. And this can start really low down the school with our really really younger students by integrating testing into the teaching what i like to do is they remove that word testing so um (laughs) i although i'm going to refer to it as a test i don't like to use it and i wouldn't use it younger children so with very young children teachers can help children during the test so it's a bit like giving them a normal piece of work Mm -hmm. um but they're actually going to use it to evaluate what they can do as opposed to test what they can do. Um, so they give them that help and where they've given them help um, on the paper, they just put an S on the test paper next to the question, they had to have some support with from the teacher or the TA. And I think that helps really young children just sort of feel that it's not such high stakes. Um, also personally for very young children, I certainly wouldn't be reporting any test data to parents. I'd let mm-hmm. the parents know what the children had done well um, and have succeeded in achieving independently and where they needed that extra support and what their next steps to improve are. And we really encourage that approach uh, to some of the assessment in the iPrimary um, uh, exact test papers that we have online because then we've got those boxes at the end of the tests Uh, where teachers can feed back to students, but of course it's also to parents. There's a little place there for the mark. I'd leave that blank. But I would focus on filling in the boxes, telling the students and the parents what the child's done well and what their next steps is, what they would need to do to actually do better in that paper Mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's sending a strong message to parents that what we value is not a number, it's actually the learning that's taken place and actually, what the child's going to do next to improve. So, then, sort of slowly as children move through the school, testing can become a bit more formal. Um, however, I think the big one is if you do need to move your desks so that children can sit on their own, be aware of the impact of that physical change in your classroom. It can really disturb and upset some children. So, if your class isn't set up with single desks, then I would set my class up with single desks just for some ordinary lessons so that children just get used to that setup. and they don't first come into a classroom seeing separate desks where they you can't sit next to their friends or class colleagues. They just have some lessons like that so they begin to get used to it as well. Yeah, and then I suppose we've got to get the children students really familiar with the tests. So lots of going through, <coughs> excuse me, um, sort of example tests. So the students know what a test paper looks like and what the expectations are. So you might choose to look at past papers or a combination of, um, you know, some I primary progress tests. And we've got lots and lots of systems. I think we're up to nearly five years worth there. Yes, so yes,
0: we are. Plenty <laughs> a lot. of test material
1: there, but not doing it in a test situation. Working mm-hmm. through it, and I think a really good way is to do it one question at a time with your class. Set them up. In test situations, they could be sitting at a desk on their own with single seats. Put the question on your interactive whiteboard at the front. You don't even have to give them an exam paper. Read it to them or get them to read it and then get them to answer it. Um, and it's a step-by-step approach to tackling the paper. And it's all part of training your students how to cope with that whole paper on their own. So then as we go through each question, we might draw their attention to things like key instructions, such as circle, underline, choose, explain, discuss, show. And I often get students to highlight these instructions, for instance, in green with a highlighter or underline them, especially if there's a number. For example, if it says give two reasons why big circle or highlight that too, and make sure that they write number one and number two when Mm -hmm. they do their answers, because so many students make make these small mistakes, but they're sort of throwing away uh, the marks, and they're not really then showing what they can do. So then I go through the questions and get the students to focus on things like key vocabulary, and we talk about what is this question really asking us to do, and then I don't use timing. I would give them plenty of time to answer the question. Um, and then if they're about to do an independent test, I might begin to limit that time, And but I would teach them about timing. So I'd have a countdown timer on the board so they can see how long they have for a question. So even when we're working one by one, I'd say, okay, I'm gonna give you five minutes of this question. Right, you've had three minutes, have you made a start? Have you begun to answer it? And really begin to train them as well in that timing. Being very generous about timing to start with and remembering that our younger children don't really have a concept of time. It's something we have <laughs> to train them in yep. as well.
0: I think easing students into kind of the testing exam conditions, so yeah I should say taking it what question by question, time management, um, it's something that We have to learn. We don't just know it when we go into an an exam condition. So let's take our most most youngest students. So those at primary level will be maybe taking assessments at the end of year six, case two, age 11. These students won't really have experienced much examination assessment conditions for pretty much two years. So what do we specifically need to think about when preparing this particular age group?
1: Yeah, as I say, you know, let's not forget that they are really young. And Mm -hmm. these children have had highly disrupted um, learning and, you know, we know what's normal for, let's say, our 11 year olds. They don't. They've never been 11 before. Yeah. Um, So it's all new for them. So don't sort of, we have to prepare them, we really do. So while I really believe that all the testing we do in class, for example, the progress tests are low stakes, we need to be careful about building up these external achievement tests as being high stakes. You know, this is what it's all about at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, as teachers and, and our parents, we need to keep that perspective. Year six, 11 year olds, even if your students are slightly older or I know some of our centres, they're slightly younger.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: are young and they're going to be doing a lot more tests in their life and they will mature academically you know between grade um, grade six and grade nine um, when we do our external tests there's a massive maturement that goes on with the children um, and again before they go and do their international GCSEs or whatever age they do that you know it is a journey of testing so while our year grade six achievement tests The external tests can provide your centre, your school, with a lot of useful information about that particular cohort which sits the test. It's important to remember it's only the first step in the educational journey a child's um, sort of undertaking in terms and that education is so much more than exams. And we're going to have those anomalies, as I mentioned um, earlier. So I think that achievement test preparation needs to be treated in the same way as We would do any other test preparation. Um, I think it's about scaffolding the preparation and I personally wouldn't begin by giving my students a test paper and expect them to work it through all of it under exam conditions. Especially as I've already said if this involves changing that classroom environment such as separating the desks, uh, expecting your students to work on their own without any help or discussing questions, I think we need to build up to that and that's where i think we need to start early and we take a year at least to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah also we sort of we need to teach children what to expect in that achievement test. So it's about teachers doing their own research reading the specification documents um, which are all on active learn for their subject looking at the exemplar achievement uh, test exam papers and also really importantly they need to go back to the chief examiners report. Because the Chief Examiner's report really um, reflects on what students generally do quite well on in these achievement tests and actually where those um, universal weaknesses are um, Mm -hmm. in the previous year's exams. I'd go back and look at the uh, Chief Examiner's uh, reports for the last previous years to help me know what I need to focus on with my children. And then, as I've said, we need to help students understand the different types of questions uh, that might appear on an exam, such as multiple choice. What's Mm -hmm. the difference between a short answer and a long answer? (coughs) Excuse me, that you know, a long answer just isn't a lot more waffle. It's got to have (laughs) three key points. If there's three marks, they're going to be given for three very explicit and clear points. So I actually uh, teach children to number those as well. You know, they need to know that multiple choice, they need to read that question carefully to make and uh, see whether they can select select only one option. Or sometimes in multiple choice, they can select more than one option. Um, They also need to be shown a strategy to indicate their choice. For instance, if they change their mind. Um, Some children, you know, don't show that clearly. So we have papers where children have circled their choice, then crossed it out, and they realise it's the right answer. And they don't know what to do. What we are looking for when they're marked is that clear indication of intention. Mm-hmm. So they could write the letter again next to the one they've made unclear and circle it clearly. You know, also with multiple choice, we need to tell them that even if they don't know, don't leave it, you know, unmarked, have a guess you've probably mm-hmm. got about a one in four chance of getting it right. <laughs> so, you know, there's really no harm in doing that in the test situation. Um, I think it's really important to just be very encouraging and make sure your children's students have a go. You know, some children won't attempt an answer. If they don't, you know, they're not sure they're going to get it right. Um, whereas actually, if they try, they may just pick up a few extra marks. Um, talking about marks, you know, they, they should really look at that mark scheme. Usually it's next to, at the end of the question in brackets, it might mm-hmm. be in a column, depending on the test they're doing. See how many marks are available, particularly on those longer answer questions. Um, and we need to teach our children, okay, if it's a three mark question, what does that look like? How do I write a three mark answer? And it is that you need discrete, separate points for each of those marks as well. So, yeah, and then, you know, this thing's a subject-specific um, achievement test to consider. So uh, a problem we see that we come across in maths papers is where students only write the answer in the box and they've been told to show they're working and they don't. Mm-hmm. And I can't yeah. stress how important it is for students to show they're working because they can be given marks for this. Um, And also, you know, we see students who rub out their aunts, they're working. I've never worked out why they do that. (laughs) Um, But primary, it's so important they're working out on that paper as, you know, you might be given credit uh, for your working out. And also, at this young age, some children will transpose their numbers when um, taking it across to the answer box. They might put 96, which is correct, in their working out as the correct answer and transpose it as 69 mm-hmm. actually in the answer box. Well, we don't just mark the answer boxes. So credit can be given and we will, you know, that transposition of numbers as well. So I think these are good strategies uh, to focus on with the children. You know, and it's the same with an English paper. Time should be given to planning uh, and students should plan their, their writing task, for instance, for at least five to 10 minutes of the exam time. And we need to teach children how to plan because planning does inevitably lead to better writing. Mm-hmm. And what we want um, at IPLS is high-quality writing. There's no additional marks for length. And some children think, come out and go, the first thing they'll say is, oh, I wrote a page and a half. And I used to sort of think, oh, yep. no, what did you write? Right. <laughs> you know, in that amount of time, probably half a page to a quarter of a page really of high quality writing actually would have been really good because we don't specify how long it needs to be. And some children think it's a bit like a running race. As long as I keep running or writing throughout the test, <laughs> yep. then I'm gonna get lots then of I'll marks. marks. Yeah. And it's not. We're looking at specific things. We cover that in one of our units where we look at the writing assessment in detail yes. and how it's marked. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you know, um it's important they understand form, purpose so they can demonstrate their writing skills through that. For
0: more information, please watch out for next week's episode, which will be part two. You can also find more support and information on IPLS assessments by visiting the IPLS teacher guides available to you in the IPLS curriculum. So, take a journey with me and let's go beyond the IPLS classroom.